There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, you're back in the seat. I am. Nice to be back. Yeah, you had last week off and Paige filled in for you. Yep. Greg, unfortunately, she did a really good job. Oh, I don't know what like that means going I might, forward. I might be out of work, but that's well, okay too. We'll find some spots for you for yeah. sure. But last week we interviewed a guy named Dan Solon out of Naples, Florida. And that was a really good conversation focused around his book called Ask. And it was basically around being an empathetic listener and communicator, which is something that I think we could all benefit from. Sure. So today we're kind of continuing down the same or at least a similar path. We're pleased to have join us Stacy Francis. Stacy is the president and CEO of Francis Financial. It's a firm that specializes in helping widows and divorcing or divorced women. She's been interviewed by places like Kiplinger, Forbes, CNBC, Psychology Today, The Wall Street Journal. That's quite a list, Greg. That's a good list. Yeah. An excellent list. Yeah. But <laughs> the defining moment of anyone's career being a guest on the Free Lunch podcast. So, Stacy, welcome to the show. You got it. You got <laughs> it. Great to meet you, Greg. Great to meet you, Colin. Well, listen, let's kick off, Stacy. Maybe just tell us your story. Where are you joining us from today? And how did you end up where you are today? It's been a long journey. So I'm actually in the heart of New York City, where I am city. If I walk outside my office is that famous bull, the bull statue. So down right near Wall Street. I actually started my firm 20 years ago. I have a wealth management firm, but we're a little unique. We work primarily with women. Almost every single client of ours is a woman who she's on her own. Her husband, unfortunately, has passed away or he has a terminal disease or she's gone through a divorce. And some people may wonder, why would you want to work with this group of people dealing with trauma? It's actually because of a real personal story. My grandmother was in a financially abusive, emotionally abusive, and actually physically abusive marriage. And I grew up seeing this as a little girl. She ended up passing away because of the abuse. And before she died, she shared that she felt financially trapped. So at a very young age, I learned as a woman that understanding money is a life or death situation. It can be. And so actually, before I started Francis Financial, the year before, 21 years ago, I was 26. I started this absolutely beautiful charity called Savvy Ladies. And we've worked with tens of thousands of women in need, helping them get on financial track, understand what they need to know about their finances, matching them one-on-one with uh, certified financial planners to work free of charge. And so it's my love letter to my grandmother. It's why I do this work. And starting Francis Financial has been the best thing I could have ever done. For me personally, I love it. But also, quite frankly, it's allowed me to give and not only give, but give big to savvy ladies to make a real difference to help those women who don't have resources like a financial advisor. So a couple decades later, a lot of work, I'll be honest, heartache and tears along the way too, because it's not always easy to run a charity 
as well as have a wealth management business, as well as have two great kids and then two dogs and all that. But I feel really blessed to be here. Your story, thank you for sharing that, by the way. I read recently how our financial being is formed from what we experienced as kids or growing up. Obviously, in your case, this is exactly true. It's not hard to say why you ended up where you are and the path that you're on based on the story that you just told. I can't imagine doing anything else. I just can't. And I'll be honest, just in full authenticity, I will always work in my marriage. I'm married to one of the best men in the world. We just celebrated 20 years together. I feel really fortunate that I had the insight to marry this man. But I have to earn an income because it makes me feel safe. It's interesting, even though I'm in a safe relationship and he would never hurt me or our children, as was the case with my grandfather and my grandmother. But you're right, Colin, the way we are raised with money really impacts how we deal with money for good or for bad. And I find particularly the population of women we work with, women who are on their own, this comes to the forefront. Often their husband has been the one in the driver's seat of the finances. And all of a sudden, all the financial decisions are left up to her. And it can be really hard. It can be really overwhelming. For sure. Well, and I'd like to dive into that particular point a little bit later, because that's critical. But maybe start by talking about the situation where a woman loses her husband. And obviously, losing a loved one is a devastating in a very emotional time and having to handle financials can seem extremely overwhelming at a time like that and particularly if somebody has not been actively involved. So what are some of the most important things to do when someone's in that position when they've lost a loved one? Great question, Greg. The number one thing is actually something that you wouldn't expect me to say because you would expect a financial advisor to jump into all the documents and the paper they need to collect the number one thing is actually getting your team in place. And that's because to get through this, there's just no way you can do it alone. Of course, that team needs to be a great trust and estate attorney, someone you can trust that's going to do the heavy lifting of settling the state and helping you pay estate taxes or whatever, whatever that might be. Number two, of course, a financial advisor. What's really interesting when we look at the studies Eight in 10 women leave their financial advisor within one year of their spouse's death. And it's usually because she didn't have a relationship. It doesn't feel like that advisor really sees her or hears her. So many women are actually going out to find that advisor, which can be quite overwhelming. The third person is someone to help with just getting through. The biggest trauma you can go through is losing a loved one. And having a mental health therapist, a grief coach is not a nice to have. It really is a must have. I find, and tell me if this has been your experience, that in my own relationship, I'm married just like you. I'm married 21 years. I got one year on you, by the way. But (laughs) what I found is that we have our own tasks. My wife takes care of paying the bills. I actually have no idea how to pay the bills, to be quite frank. I take care of the investments. So she doesn't really pay too much attention to that. And I found that that's kind of the same for a lot of couples I deal with, that certain people have certain tasks. And I think the biggest disruptor I can see is that if 
when something or if something happens, the person that's left behind has to figure out, well, how do I pay the bills? Yeah. And actually, it's interesting, Colin, the division of labor that you just talked about is the typical that we see. We did a survey. We interviewed 150 women have gone through divorce and asked them about their participation with the finances. The vast majority of women actually paid the bills and felt pretty comfortable with that. So they were somehow involved in the bill paying but only about 30% were involved in the long-term investing and financial planning, your domain. So that's where we find a good number of the women who come to us are really lacking. They can pay the American Express, but how do I manage the 401k, the IRA? Should I pay down the mortgage? Should I be downsizing now that my spouse has passed away? Do I need to go back to work? Can the kids still go to private school? What should I do with the life insurance proceeds? How should that be invested or not invested? And just the tsunami of questions that anyone would have. Well, and it gets to the point about, first of all, the importance of financial planning happening before something happens like this. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that, as well as what can, I mean, I'm in kind of a traditional marriage as well, where my wife raised the kids and the dogs. And (laughs) her biggest fear, which she jokes to me quite regularly, is, well, if anything happens to you, I won't know where the money is or how to turn on the TV because the remote is so complicated. And so (laughs) how can families, husbands and wives, work together in advance to prepare for that? Like, what's a good strategy to sort of get everybody involved and on the same page? Greg, I love that question because I have a good solution that even will help with the remote because I am one of those women where we have the most complicated setup. Although it's like when you watch TV, it's like you're in a movie theater. So I can't complain about it. (laughs) But there's a great software called EverPlan, E-V-E-R Plan. And it is something that anyone can use and you can upload and have it house all of those important documents, estate planning documents, power of attorney, investment documents, your retirement accounts, directions on where the safety deposit box is, if you have cryptocurrency, passwords, anything that you can imagine, you can put it there, even the directions on how to use the remote. And it's a really easy to access, very intuitive. And I feel like it's the best love letter you could ever write to your family. That's a great idea. So along the same line of financial planning, we do a lot of financial planning in our practice. And you do tend to have a lot of women who might say, oh, I just don't understand this and kind of defers to the husband. And what strategies can you use to get people more involved? Some of us come from backgrounds where we haven't had much exposure to the finances. And it can be quite intimidating. I'll be honest, I was one of those women I never raised my hand in math class and I always sat at the back of the classroom, which was really a problem. I know everyone listening right now, you can't see me, but I'm wearing glasses and I've been wearing glasses since I was about in fifth grade. So I couldn't see the chalkboard either. It's about engaging that person in a way that makes them interested in money. And so maybe it's not the particulars of one mutual fund or ETF or stock or bond and talking about that, but then instead talking to her about what do you want this money to do? How would you feel more financially secure? 
I just delivered a financial plan to a client today. She just got divorced and the first words out of her mouth were, I've never done this stuff before. Can you just tell me before you deliver this plan, am I going to be okay? And we were able to say yes and then show her that. And even though she's never, ever had anything to do with her finances today, because we were able to engage her in a way of showing her hopes and her dreams of, yes, it works for you to be able to help your mom. Yes, it still works for you to be able to support your sister. Yes, we can create a portfolio for you that doesn't invest in petroleum and doesn't have child labor. Understanding what's important to her about finances and engaging her around those really important values, those really important goals that she has. I find that most questions that we get, whether it be from a single person, a widow, widower, or a couple, are focused around like the root cause is, am I going to be okay? The root question is that. So even my mom, who's a lovely lady, said to me one day, should I have more invested in bonds? Stacy, my mom doesn't know what a bond is. So I had to think about where is this question coming from? And to me, it was a question of the same way. Am I going to be okay? Do you find that that is really the core of most of the planning that you do? Most of the questions that you answer is answering that question? It is. Am I going to be okay? And being able to show that. And I have to say, I think also, Colin, you can tell someone that they're going to be financially okay, but it doesn't mean that you don't have to tell them that again. One of the things I love about what we do, but also is challenging, is that our clients, their lives change every single year. Expenses change, investment rates return change, their income change, and that beautiful financial roadmap that you created now is completely outdated. And so there's that question again, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be financially okay? Then you put in a 2022 where the market is going to hell in a handbag, that brings it up again. Am I going to be financially okay? And those are all very good questions. And I'll be honest, I update my plan too. I look at that plan and those numbers make sure that they still look the way that they need to look. Being financially okay is actually one of our primal needs as people. There's food, there's water, there's a few other things, and there's financially okay as one of them too. Let's dive a little bit into just some of the more specifics. So we talked a little bit about who you need to have on your team if your loved one passes away. What are the specific kinds of things do people need to look at? Like what specific financial documents do they need to collect? Who do you need to inform that your spouse has passed away? Maybe just talk a little bit about just some of those details that people need to think about. Great question, Greg. And I have a fantastic list of documents that you need to collect sooner, so in the next three months, and things you need to do, and then later in three months onwards. And it's called Financial Help for Widows. And I'll send a link so that it can be right in the show notes for anyone who would like to have a copy. Some really great, important things in there. And what you need to do is get a full picture of what your finances look like. So documents supporting what's in retirement accounts, brokerage accounts, checking, banking accounts. If you have a mortgage, the value of your home, essentially listing out all of those assets 
and those liabilities for purposes of the estate planning. And the other piece is knowing what benefits you have. So what life insurance might have been on your spouse, a lot of employers also offer life insurance and other benefits that you may be able to be entitled to. Your spouse may have had a retirement plan there or even stock options and stock that you didn't know, maybe a pension. There's a lot of pieces. And so reaching out to the HR, if your spouse was working, will be really helpful as well. Once you've got a good handle on all the assets and liabilities, life insurance, it's getting a clear picture of what your expenses are and what your new income is. The vast majority of couples, when their spouse passes away, well, their income goes down. Often the expenses don't go down in the same lockstep. They go down a little bit, but not as much. So getting a real clear picture of what are my expenses, and that's going to help inform Do I need to downsize? Do I need to go back to work? Do I need to change my standard of living, how much I'm paying for ongoing living expenses? So those are really important things because it helps you deal with that tsunami of financial questions that you're going to be facing over the next months and years. Excellent. We do a lot of, and I'm sure you do too, a lot of behavioral finance type of work in trying to help people understand their behavioral biases, first constructed by Kahneman and Tversky years ago, but these heuristics, these mental shortcuts. And one of them that I find fascinating is called endowment bias, where you inherit something from a loved one. So you inherit some stocks, let's say. And there's a tendency not to sell those stocks because, I don't know, there's this bias that says, I don't want to shake those up because that person that I loved, that's what they had. And so you end up with more risk in your portfolio than you might have otherwise assumed yourself. And it sometimes leads to some mental accounting where you end up with like certain accounts that have different levels of risk and so on and so forth. I'm giving you a long question here, by the way. How do you deal with widows, widowers, when they're left with a portfolio of stocks that they don't necessarily understand, or they might understand, but they don't want to rock the boat. How do you deal with that in a behavioral finance type of way? I will tell you, Colin, it's one of the hardest things because we have emotional attachment to certain investments. He may have inherited that stock from his father, GE. Well, we know GE has been a really poor investment, not just for the last few years, but the last few decades. And having 50% of your holdings in one stock, we all know that's not a good thing. But just because we know that us as advisors doesn't mean that the client feels the same way. So there's a couple ways to go about it. And the first is showing her the risk of having all your money in that stock and what could happen if, God forbid, that stock were to go away and drop in value. And There are some great studies by Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA, on the performance of individual stocks over time. And in that, they've shown that a stock that has outperformed in the past has just as likely to underperform the next 10 years as a stock that has underperformed in the past. So trying to, as best you can, show information 
And not that information is going to completely change someone's mind, but much of this is about education and understanding and also realizing that you may not be able to make this change all at once. It may be over time. And that's okay, too. You brought up DFA. I didn't realize that you dealt with DFA. Greg and I also deal with DFA, just so you know. And Greg, are we promoting Dimensional Fund Advisors on this show? We absolutely are. Yeah, we are. They're part of our model portfolios. (laughs) Of course we are. Exactly. (laughs) So So it's so funny. I knew you guys dealt with DFA before you even told me because one of the things you talk about is evidence-based investing approach. And whenever I see evidence-based, because that's what it is all about, it's using evidence and the research by Nobel Prize laureate to help start DFA, that definitely tells me. And I'd love to have a conversation. I feel like this could be a whole nother podcast about indexed and evidence-based versus active management and was it the best thing for you. But just back to your question, a lot of women, they come to us with portfolios that were a portfolio that made sense for them as a married couple. But it's like trying to wear your husband's pants. At least for me, I can't fit in my husband's pants, nor would having a portfolio that was right for the two of us be right for me when I was single. Yeah, like I hear from some people, so we maybe have a widow or two that we deal with that say, well, you know, when so-and-so was still alive, they really kept an eye on this stuff. And they had the, what's the term I'm looking for here, Greg? Like their finger on the pulse, like they are really on top of things, but I just don't want to have that in my life anymore. And I don't believe that I should. The part I struggle with, Stacy, is that I know that whoever that person is that has left us, even though their surviving spouse thinks that they had their finger on the pulse, we as advisors know they really didn't. And so you got to be really careful of like what you say to diminish the legacy of the person that's left. No, I agree. You have to be very careful. I've seen this in many different ways. A client I had a conversation with, brand new client, really saying we kept most of our money in cash and boy, wasn't that a great idea. They've kept most of their money the last decade in cash. And wasn't that a great idea? Because look at the market and what's happened this year. And really aggrandizing this image of her husband who passed away as just a smart person. And we know that that money over the last 10 years could have easily doubled if it was invested even in a conservative portfolio instead of being in cash. So sometimes you just have to be very careful. Another client came to us, had eight different high-cost annuities that her uncle had sold her at her husband's death to just say, you know what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to take all the life insurance money. I'm going to put them all in these annuities. And I will tell you, it's a very difficult situation because we're involved now. The uncle retired. He's in his 80s now. But now she's left with these annuities that have astronomical fees. And if they have such stiff surrender charges that she's having to pay, in some cases, 7, 8, even 10% of the value if she wants to get out of them. And how do you have that conversation of your husband's money that he left you for you and your children for life insurance? Your uncle has been getting commissions of about $50,000 a year because he sold these to you. It's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a tough one. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Greg, would we have one or two more questions? Well, well, maybe just to 
change tack a little bit from the logistics just to talk a little bit more about the emotional side. I mean, every person grieves differently. And what are some of the ways that widows or people that have lost a loved one can take extra care of themselves while coping with that loss? I think the biggest thing to know is that you're just, the widow's fog is truly real. All of us have gone through some type of trauma. And during that time, had a harder time thinking, harder time making decisions. And so just understanding that you need to take care of yourself. The biggest challenge we see with the women who come to us is that they've been so busy taking care of other people, their children who have gone through this loss, even work colleagues of their spouse that are very upset or friends, other family members, and they haven't had time to really focus on them. And so making sure that you're taking care of yourself because losing a spouse is absolutely, it's life shattering and it's not easy to get through. And the only way you're going to be able to get through is if you have enough support. So there are a good number of clients where we just ask them to really focus on themselves and make sure that they have either a grief coach or a therapist, understanding that everybody also grieves differently. One day, you may be very sad. The next day, you may be just really freaking angry at him. The next day, you may be relieved, especially if he had a long-term illness. And actually, to be honest, quite frankly, it can change moment to moment. You might be feeling fine for a few moments, and then all of a sudden, it hits you. And just realizing that that is the cycle of grief. It will not be that way forever, but it's okay. And understanding just to give yourself a little bit of slack. I'm a certified grief recovery coach. Not that I would ever want someone to come to me for grief counseling, but it really does help me understand that we all deal with grief differently. And however we're dealing with it is the best we can be doing at that time. That's pretty deep. I like it. It's not easy stuff, I'll tell you. Just one thing, obviously, we should make clear is that while your practice focuses on women primarily going through divorce or losing their spouse, obviously, men can suffer exactly the same trauma upon losing their spouse. And it's how we as humans, I guess, deal with grief and emotion. And so all of the things we're talking about are totally relevant for our men and husbands out there as well. Well, I mean, and you got to take it into 2022, Greg. I mean, this could be... I mean, we're talking about traditional marriage structure. There's other forms of, of marriage structure going forward from here. Yeah, so exactly. I think, yeah, your point is the loss of the other person, whether it be through death or divorce or separation, is it impacts everybody. Yeah, it really does. I mean, my parents divorced when I was four and they haven't really liked each other since. So that has had no impact on my life whatsoever. <laughs> I can just tell you, Stacey, it explains a lot. That does it. Well, I have to say, Colin, you're going on 21 years. That's pretty good. Well, yeah. And my wife's parents divorced when actually we first started dating. So I think the when you look at the statistics, if we looked at the standard deviation, we would be within one standard deviation of the expectation of a divorce. <laughs> That's right. And we're trying to make it out to three standard deviations or beyond. So There you go. Anyways, okay, listen, we need to finish with a speed round, Greg. Something fun. So you've done all the hard lifting, so appreciate that, Stacy. Greg, let's kick us off with some Canadian-specific questions, just because we like to do that. 
and then something we'll, else. We'll start, we'll start with an easy one because we mentioned before we started the show that Colin and I both grew up in Saskatchewan. So your first question is, how do you spell Saskatchewan? <laughs> and no checking your phone. <laughs> so easy one. Just hit her with the easy one, Greg. There is no way I'm going to get this. <laughs> well, not with that attitude. <laughs> How about Ontario? I grew up next to Ontario, oh, there, Michigan. Okay, go, we'll, I can do Ontario. We'll give you Ontario then. Okay. Okay. O N T A T A R I O. Excellent. Perfect. There. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. If you have to do an Americana with Colin, you can ask him to spell Schenectady or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I oh my gosh. You know, you. I can't do that one either. I can't do that one either. <laughs> I was thinking about Mississippi the other day. I think I know how to spell it. Yeah. There you go. You know what? That actually is one that is very easy. It's M I S S I S S I P P I. That's right. That's just kind of the things we learn in grade school. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sort of melodic. I'll ask the next one, Colin. And we mentioned we got our first blast of winter today. There's lots of snow on the ground. Traffic is ground to a standstill. And on days like today, Canadians tend to wear a toque. What is a toque? I think it's a type of hat. Very excellent. Good. Excellent. Very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's that wool hat with the pom-pom. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I think you're the first person that's gotten that. Yeah. And we've interviewed yeah. a number of Americans over the that's last right. years. and. If you grow up close to Canada, there's a chance. Yeah, there's a chance, yeah. Okay, so you did the Canadian ones. What do you do for fun when you're not working? Oh, gosh. So I actually do indoor skydiving with my daughter. It's one of our new COVID sports. She's 13, and all of her sports were completely canceled. No martial arts, no soccer. So I tried to find a sport that was safe from a COVID perspective, and so now, since COVID started, March 2020, we have been skydiving together. Again, I want to say indoors. So we go in a tunnel. I'm not letting my 13-year-old jump out of a plane just yet. And it's been really good for us. She's really good. She's ready to start competing. She does. If you could just imagine someone doing aerobatics in the air, she can wow. do that. I'm not quite there yet, but I really enjoy it. And my big highlight is the last time we were in, I'm good enough that we can actually fly in a tunnel together now. And that was just like, as a mom, it was just so sweet. And she was having so much fun. Cool. Well, that is very cool. I personally have a healthy respect for gravity. So anybody that jumps out of a plane, I think should be checked mentally. Anyways, <laughs> any books you're reading right now or shows you're watching? The books I'm reading, I'm sure... Many of you have read The Secret came out years and years and years ago. And I've probably read that book six times and I'm rereading it now. It's just about mindset shift and law of attraction. And I really believe that with hard work and good attitude and helping others and giving out to the world that it comes back to you. And every once in a while, I just need to be reminded. So it's a great thing to read. I read it right before I go to bed. To be honest, I usually get through like two pages and then usually my children tuck me in because I'm going to bed by 9 p.m. And my 13-year-old and 16-year-old won't get to bed till 10. So I get tucked in and I read my little book. Very nice. That Excellent. sounds lovely. Yep, it does. Yeah, I'm pretty spoiled. <laughs> I'm pretty spoiled. <laughs> Is that it, Greg? I think so. I think we'll let Stacy go, but we yeah. absolutely appreciate you spending the time with us today. Uh, it was so good to talk with you, Colin and Greg. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And tell all your friends about the show. I'm sure they'll love it, right? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Greg, till next time. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. 
We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kreminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.